Welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series, which can be heard on VHHA.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get podcasts. We're a member of the Public Health Podcast Network, the Virginia Audio Collective, the Independent Podcast Network, and the Family Podcast Network. And we're on the radio each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, 107.7 FM, and 820 a.m. across Central Virginia, and 1650 a.m. in Hampton Roads, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to pcfpodcast at vhsha.com. Again, that's pcfpodcast at vhsha.com. And with that housekeeping handled, it's time to introduce our guest. Joining us today is Dr. Robert Wynn, director of the VCU Massey Cancer Center, for a conversation about his career, his leadership on efforts to increase diversity in clinical trials and bridge gaps in trust between the medical community and people of color, and much more. And so with that, welcome to the program, and thank you for joining us, Dr. Wynn. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, it's our pleasure, and we're just going to jump right in here. We're going to get to the serious stuff shortly, but I do want to put you on the spot just a little here since we're in the middle of college football season. As I understand it, your undergraduate degree is from Notre Dame, and your medical degree is from the University of Michigan. These are institutions that have had something of a sports rivalry over the years. So for rooting purposes, where do your allegiances lie? I have to be honest. My heart's always with the Irish. Uh, so I will be with Notre Dame. <laughs> Win, lose, or draw. Most likely lose this week, but we'll see. <laughs> well, we will. For the, I lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan growing up, so I'm a Michigan fan. But for purposes of this recording, we will try not to hold that against you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so a few moments ago, I referenced your involvement in an effort to boost diversity in clinical trials and address mistrust of the health system found in marginalized communities. We're going to explore that deeper in just a bit. But as a precursor, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on a recent data-informed bit of reporting indicating that white Americans now have a higher COVID-19 death rate than black Americans, which is a reversal from earlier in the pandemic, as I'm sure you know. Early in the pandemic, we saw death rates much higher among African Americans, which were at least partly attributable to the proportional presence of underlying health conditions that in many cases made a COVID diagnosis much more problematic. We've also seen vaccine hesitancy that cuts across ethnic lines, but in some cases for different reasons, ranging from social factors to political factors. This data set is obviously a moving target and has changed and fluctuated, as we say, over time. But just given that recent bit of reporting, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts and perspective on that latest data and and what, if anything, it says to you as a medical practitioner. I think what it says to me is that the importance of even more importance as we're moving forward of being able to regain the trust in our communities. I think that probably reflected in that number when you say that whites are faring worse now than African-Americans may be that the place and space actually also matters. So, you know, when I look at those data, I would probably assume, you know, that many of those communities that are doing well and less well now where the same communities at the very beginning also of the pandemic are rural communities. And I think what's been happening is that our rural communities have had an incredible struggle of what to believe. And so because uh, many of the times in the health profession, we usually speak at, we talk to, but we never discuss with or try to bring along people why the science actually matters. And, and in fact, WB Yates you know, said it best. He said, think like the wisest of men and women but communicate in the language of the people. And I think that this may be evidence that we're losing some ground in communicating in the language of the people to have them understand that facts are not at war with your faith, 
And science is not at war with keeping your community healthy. I really appreciate the way you put that, that facts are not at war with your faith. And also speaking to people in plain language, uh, that is an old adage in the news business I'm sure you're familiar with, which is communicate with folks on a fifth grade level. You know, we don't always have to be, we can be fact-based uh, and we can be high-minded, but we can use plain language to speak. So I, I really appreciate that perspective. Dr. Wynn, you are a pulmonologist, oncologist by specialty who, from what I've read, considers himself a lab scientist above all else. We recently hosted Dr. Tony Faber from Massey on this podcast, and he discussed his work with other scientists on novel treatments for pediatric neuroblastoma. Massey Cancer Center is both a treatment facility and a research center. I wonder for the audience if you could share a big picture view of the work that happens at Massey and perhaps a sample of some of the exciting developments that are in the pipeline. Yeah, thank you for that opportunity. You know, I think most people in Virginia don't even understand the oil that's actually in their backyard. Um, you have two designated cancer centers in the state, which, uh, to be honest with you, when you look at Kentucky or you look at West Virginia, which have no designated cancer centers in West Virginia and only one in Kentucky, I think you'll know that we're lucky. As a designated cancer center that was established in 1971 uh, with the war on cancer by led by President Nixon at that time, it was this concept of taking science and research and delivering the goodness that we come from that science into things that could translate into medicines. As a result of that, and I've had a front row seat and now seeing that women who actually come in with advanced breast cancers don't necessarily have to die. In my lifetime, being from a, a, a medical student at Michigan till now, I know that there are women who are 15, 18, in some cases more than that years out with advanced stage breast cancer because of the science that we've brought to them. So here at Massey, we are a believer in that. We've been designated a federally designated cancer center since 1971, uh, 74. And the goal for me is how do I get my best and brightest scientists to create the molecules that will then become the medicines for the future. That ultimately, when we're looking at lung cancer patients who 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we would have given up our, you know, thrown up our hands and said, there's nothing we can give you. Today, we have immunotherapy, molecular targeted therapy, and many other tools that we can now use out of our toolkit to keep not only people alive, and, and to have people survive, but to thrive. So here at Massey, we're all about trying to figure out how to bring our best and brightest talent from here, keeping them in the state of Virginia, and, and then attracting those to Virginia so that we can come up with the cures, not only for tomorrow, but the best therapy for today. That's the goal. And I appreciate what you just said there about attracting and retaining. Actually, just today, we announced a national effort. It's a campaign called Onboard Virginia that is focused on addressing some of the healthcare workforce shortages that exist across the Commonwealth. And obviously, this is a national issue, but certainly an acute challenge here in Virginia that's been magnified by the pandemic. And one of the purposes of that campaign is to not only encourage people to pursue their healthcare educational training here, but then also to stay here or for those who have pursued their educational training outside of Virginia to come here because of all of the, the assets and, and the amenities, including places, top-notch research institutes like Massey. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. You began your role as director at Massey in December of 2019, which is just months before the pandemic arrived. And as I understand it, at the time of your appointment, you were the only African-American director of a National Cancer Institute designated cancer center. One prominent initiative that you've been very engaged in is a national partnership between VCU, 
the Bristol-Myers Squibb Foundation, the American Association for Cancer Research, and Gilead Sciences to transform clinical research with the goal of increasing diversity in clinical trials. This is a five-year, $100 million program that bears your name. And so if you would, can you tell us more about this program and the importance of having a more diverse pool of clinical trial participants in the scientific medical research process? Yeah, no, thank you for asking that question. You know, I, I will say that I have a different take. My take is that we've been for the last 30, 40 years trying to figure out how we can get people from rural areas on the clinical trials. How could we get at-risk populations like African-Americans, Latinos, and, and others on clinical trials? And it dawned on me that, you know, part of this is we usually wave our fingers, for example, at those communities and say, well, they don't trust us. And, and as a result of that, they don't want to join our trials. I've actually thought that that was probably incorrect from the very first time I heard it. It turns out that clinical trials to me are a little bit, and getting people onto clinical trials are a little bit like the middle school dance. And I was with a friend once and I wanted to ask this girl to dance and then I was, you know, just too afraid. And so I, I, you know, I made all these assumptions about why she was going to tell me no. Interestingly enough, my friend was like, you know, why don't you go answer a dance? She told me she wanted to dance with you. <laughs> right. And so the interesting thing about what we do as a health profession is that we just like that nervous little kid at middle school, we make up all these stories about why people don't want to participate as opposed to just doing the adult thing, and that is to ask. So we have a campaign that's called Ask First. That's in part uh, how this program came about because it dawned on me that it wasn't enough to train the next generation on how to do better trials or train the next generation how to implement these great trials, but that there was a missing gap of knowledge in these trainees and the clinical trialists on how to understand communities. And so the program that we started with Bristol Myers Squibb Foundation, which is, I mean, probably one of the most forward thinking organizations I've been involved with, was to create a program in which we're not, we're, we're training the next generation to be great clinical trialists. They're going to learn how to design trials and implement trials just like any other clinical trialist, but they're also going to understand the importance of social determinants of health. The goal is if they can understand the challenges then from a rural community or urban underserved communities, they might, A, be better able to get data that will actually help them in, you know, create an intervention that would allow them to then be better, better effective, more effective communicators, but actually more effective at getting people onto those trials. So I've actually done it a little bit backwards. Instead of actually sort of saying, we're going to have diversity you know, rural, which we do. We're proud to have the women of the diverse backgrounds of people who are participating in this from rural, from African American, to Latino, and everything else. We have a, I mean, a rich diversity. But the interesting thing is, it doesn't really matter because I think someone who comes from a non-diverse background who understands the approach of what community asset mapping looks like, how to work with federally qualified health centers, for example, most people don't even know they exist or how they can be in partners, mm -hmm. how they can work with things like the National Community Oncology Research Programs. If we train people better, I think what we're going to have is a better outcome and that we'll have better trials, but we'll also have probably more diverse people being put on those trials, not just because they're asking, but because they're asking and they're coming up with interventions to make it more effective that they're going to get to yes. And it sounds like the approach there involves awareness among the clinical trial leaders, the scientists, but also outreach. And I know that 
in addition to this level of investment from the Bristol-Myers Squibb Foundation and other participants, which is important because resources are necessary to fund and drive change, but that's just one part of the infrastructure. And the other critical component is building trust, which involves that outreach. I know you've been very active in direct community engagement through in-person listening sessions with people in marginalized communities, or as you mentioned, more rural, far-flung communities, to make them aware of this work and, and also to perhaps make them stakeholders as well. It seems to me that this approach is very much tied into the idea of health equity. You mentioned social determinants of health and efforts to address legacy disparities around access and outcomes. So I wonder if you could talk just a little bit more about that philosophy, the outreach and the direct engagement, and particularly what kind of feedback you're hearing or inroads you think you're making in terms of building that trust. It turns out that for uh, since probably 1971, we've been so focused on if we just build it, they will come without recognizing that you can build something amazingly well. And if people don't understand it, they will not come. <laughs> so the outreach and engagement efforts are incredibly important. We actually have a philosophy of what we have here at Massey, which we call both a high tech and high touch approach. The high tech is being much more sophisticated about using social media and many of these other things. But the high touch approach is exactly what it sounds like. That is, how do we become much more effective of engaging communities and how do we actually do it more frequently where we're not doing it from behind the desk, but we're actually out in the community. So one of the things I'm incredibly proud of is that the senior leaders here, President Rao and many others, have been incredibly supportive of having a cancer center that's built on community focused first. And as a result of that, we've invested a number of dollars, probably more than almost any other cancer center I would probably say in the country, at least we're certainly up there, in the context of building a community outreach and engagement core. And so our folk are reaching places like Danville. They're reaching places like the east side of Richmond. We don't care. Wherever there is cancer, we're trying to make sure that we're there that we're present, and that we have a consistent touch point with folks. The other thing is we recognize that while you have health system navigators, the truth of the matter is what we probably need more of are community activators. And that means hiring people from the community that are working alongside with us to be able to, one, help not only build the trust, but actually gain that community knowledge, which sometimes well-meaning people from health systems think they have but they really don't until they wind up interacting with the communities. That's a great point. And I know, for example, that VCU has done this on some other initiatives. For example, I know that VCU, we interviewed one individual who works in this capacity, has peer support specialists working with folks who have been impacted by community violence. And one of the individuals that we interviewed, his name is Darrell Anderson, was impacted by community violence and now works as a peer support specialist uh, for other people who receive treatment at VCU for uh, community violent episodes. That's not cancer care, obviously, but it's still medical care, and that's an example of what you're talking about. I just do want to point out for anyone who's interested in learning more about the Massey Cancer Center, you can do that online at Massey, M-A-S-S-E-Y, dot V-C-U dot E-D-U. Again, that's Massey dot V-C-U dot E-D-U. So we want to share that link, and then we want to thank you for your time today, Dr. Wen. And before we conclude... It is a tradition here on the Patients Come First podcast to ask each guest a pair of personal questions to give our listeners a bit of a sense of, of who they are as individuals beyond the work they do. And to keep things interesting, we've developed a list of 10 mystery questions from which you can choose. So if you would, please give me two numbers between 1 and 10, and then I will ask you the corresponding questions. Two numbers between 1 and 10. All right, 5, and we'll make it 5 and 7. 
Okay. Five, if you could spend the day with one person from history, living or otherwise, who would it be and why? Oh, my God. There's so many. Um, so let me say, I would probably spend the day with or Martin Luther King. I would say I would spend the day with Martin Luther King to sort of get in uh, inside his head because he's probably one of the earliest people in the context of why communities mattered and, and putting people back to work uh, in these types of deals. And, and his thought process would be something that would be pretty cool. I, I would like to spend a day with him, I think. That's a very good choice, and I'm sure lots of lessons to impart from Dr. King. And then you also selected number seven, and that question is if you could choose one superpower to have or any one skill to instantly master, what would it be and why? Oh, yeah, to get people to listen. <laughs> I think if I could do anything, it would be to get people to listen, not only to me, but to get people to just listen more deeply, more carefully to one another. I think right now we're having so many conversations that are going past one another that we're missing the realities that none of us is better than, than all of us. And I think that if I had one power, it would be to actually get the power to have people to listen better than they are now. Absolutely. We could use more open ears and open eyes, open minds and open hearts. Uh, we are more alike than we are dissimilar, even though we don't always recognize that. So that is great perspective there. And with that, that is going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are available. And we want to once again thank our guest, Dr. Robert Wynn, the director of the VCU Massey Cancer Center, for joining us today. So thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you.